Well, if you would take your Bibles and turn to 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4. In 1 Peter, the reader is shown a reason for hope amid uncertainty and even opposition. The context of 1 Peter involves dealing with people like Nero and dealing with opposition because people name the name of Christ. It was written to a people going through great difficulties, and and Peter reminds them that our hope is based on the gospel and its ramifications. Now, I am thankful that this evening we basically have been singing of the gospel, and I do not want to discredit or overlook the gospel in any way, but for sake of time, we're going to look more at the ramifications of the gospel this evening but, it, but nevertheless, the gospel is the foundation, the bedrock of, of how we should live and the reason why we can live for our Savior. And so in 1 Peter chapter 4, I trust uh, will be a blessing to us uh, this evening. You never know when it was going to happen. You had to be ready. This was the main point of Jesus' teaching in Matthew chapter 25. Jesus would be returning to gather his bride and his audience was told to be ready. The parable of the ten virgins describes these ten young ladies who are anticipating the call of the bridegroom to assemble. What were they to do? Well, they were to carry lamps and play a part in the citywide processional to the groom's house for that wonderful wedding feast. And the wedding was certain. Also, the job of these ten virgins was certain, but there was one part that was not certain, and that was the day or the hour of the wedding. All they knew was that they had to be ready. Now, many of us are familiar. Half of those virgins were ready. They had their lamps trimmed. They had ample oil and, in fact, extra oil, and half of those virgins were not ready. And those who were unprepared with untrimmed lamps and insufficient oil faced the shame, the embarrassment, and yes, even the exclusion from the wedding celebration. Now, now I will admit, weddings were a bit different in those days, but even if we as contemporary readers miss some of the poignancy of this parable, the teaching is clear, nevertheless, it is to be ready. Jesus, the bridegroom, could come at any moment. Now is the time to prepare. Now I will say, some hear this parable of the ten virgins, and they have questioned who is represented by each character of that parable. Some have asserted that the virgins represented the nation of Israel, and that those in the church age should really not pay attention to Matthew chapter 25 and this parable. Well, my one contention with this view is that the imminence of Jesus' return, whether to rapture his church, or to rule and reign in the millennium could happen at any moment, either one of those things. His imminent return is right around the corner, and in the future plans of God, according to Scripture, nothing else needs to happen in order for that to begin, the end times as we know it. This flies in the face of what man thinks, man's temptation See, the temptation of man is to doubt Jesus' imminent return. The temptation for the ten virgins in the parable of the ten virgins is for them to say, well, I've still got time. I'll deal with it tomorrow. But I hope after our study in Revelation that we've been doing on Sunday night, as well as tonight in 1 Peter, we will see two things. Number one, Jesus will come. He is coming. And number two, no one knows when that will be. 
So with that in mind, we better be ready. Christ declares his imminent return often in his ministry. And likewise, Jesus' followers also declare that Jesus may return at any moment. Paul makes this truth clear in multiple passages. And likewise, Peter declares that Christ will return. In fact, look with me at the beginning of our text for the evening. We're in 1 Peter chapter 4. We're going to look at verse 7 and look at the very beginning of verse 7. It says, but the end of all things is at hand. The end, the end of all things is at hand. The culmination of our faith is near. That's what that word end means. And he calls us to understand that we are but one breath away, either in death or in rapture. The end is near for all of us. Here's another reality. None of us know what a day may bring forth. The Lord may return and come and get us and take us home. Or we may breathe our last. And as James talks about, we are but a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanishes away. So when Peter says the end is near, we may sit back and say, yeah, but Peter wrote this and it's been thousands of years. But imagine the readers of 1 Peter, the original audience, the end was near for them. And as I mentioned, Peter ministered during the time of Nero, And for some of these believers, some who probably received this letter, they were going to meet their Savior in a short time. The end was near. And the same thing can be true of us this evening. We are but one breath away. So with that in mind, because the end is near, you must live right lives. Now in this case, you may ask, but Pastor Nate, what is right? If we know the end is near, how should we live? In this case, Peter lays out what is expected of those waiting for the fulfillment of our faith, the end of it, the fulfillment of our faith. It is end times ethics, and that's what we're going to talk about this evening. Again, we've been talking in Revelation on Sunday night. Pastor Craig has been, been, been preaching through Revelation and the, the next steps on the calendar and what's coming up in the, the calendar of God and, and the future and the eschatology. And I wanted to take just a moment And take a look at what does God expect us to do in light of what is ahead? How should we live? And let's continue to examine verses 7 through 11. That's our text for the evening. And understand that because the end is near, we must live right lives. So verse 7, we started verse 7. Let's continue verse 7. But the end of all things is at hand now. And since that is true... Be ye therefore sober and watch unto prayer. We need to see first that because the end is near, you must have the right mindset. If you're taking notes this evening, all of the points are going to begin with an M. Or the the point at the end, the main point, will begin with an M. Okay, I don't necessarily always do alliteration, but it just came together really clean with this one, and it 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 was cool. But anyway, so because the end is near, you must have the right mindset. What is Peter saying? Well, well, first off, he's saying, be focused. Verse 7, be ye therefore sober and watch unto prayer. We'll take each one of these things. First off, sober. Be sober. We are to be sober in the way that we go about our business. What does that word sober mean? It means to be sane or of a sound mind. 
It literally means to exercise self-control and curbs, curb one's passions. The scripture makes it clear that we must mortify the deeds of our flesh and instead live lives that are governed by the Spirit. That is one of our tasks. God does call us to fulfill certain tasks in our sanctification, and one of those is to mortify or to be sober or to be serious about our faith. We must mortify the deeds of our flesh. We must exercise self-control. We must curb one's passions. I don't know about you, but probably there are certain things about each one of us that they just that the, the devil seems to always have a foothold on. It's like it, he gives it to us, and it's like we trip over it all the time. I think probably, though, if we were to catch a vision of the future, and we were to catch the idea that we will eventually stand before our Lord and give account, we probably would be a little bit more focused. We would be able to say, no, I don't need to fulfill that fleshly desire. That fleshly desire has been conquered by our Savior. We should be sober. So be, of sa- be sane and of a sound mind. That's the first expectation. What else is true of our mindset? We should be, secondly, watchful. Be watchful. And watch unto prayer, as verse 7 says. And that word watchful has the idea of to be calm and collected, to be temperate, dispassionate, and circumspect. It has the idea that you will not be drawn into things that pull you away from your task on this earth to live for Christ. Anything that would pull you away or distract you is, 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 is repulsed by you. You're watching. You're testing things as they come and as, as they are brought in front of you. And you're saying, would that pull me away from Christ? Some of you know this, but I love sports. I love playing sports. And when I was younger, I had the opportunity to play travel soccer uh, for our city league. And we uh, got all the details from uh, the coach that we, we played on the city league, and then they, at, they, they came and approached me and my brother and said, hey, would you try out for the city, uh, the city travel? So we would travel all around. And we thought, wow, this is an honor. And so we got the information and we looked at it. And the one thing that, the, that everything looked great. Uh, the cost, we could afford it. We could, I mean, the, the time wasn't too uh, intensive, but there was one catch. And the catch was that travel day was Sunday. And on that, in that moment, we kind of looked at it. And I remember my parents and I sat down and with my younger brother as well, and we just, we kind of hashed it out and we laid it on the table. And basically it came down to, no, I'm, we're not going to do this. Why? Because it will pull you away from Sunday. It will pull you away from doing and being where you know you're supposed to be. And though we enjoyed playing soccer and though we even had a witness to some of our city league teammates, we realized that this was not for us because it would have pulled us away from our Savior. And I'm thankful for parents, and I'm thankful for a brother, and I'm thankful for the Lord's grace that helped us to make that choice so that we did not get pulled away. Be watchful. You know, there may be some things in your life that aren't necessarily wrong and even can be, can be good, 
but they will pull you away from Christ if they take the place of Christ. And in this case, if you are going to have an end times ethic with your, the right type of mindset, you must be focused on Christ and you will not be swayed from that focus. It is a serious mindset. Imagine if you were going to be drafted into the military and there was, uh, you were going to go to basic training and then after basic training you were going to go into battle. It'd be interesting to talk to some of those drill sergeants because I, 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 can, I can guess that the soldiers who come through basic training and then go and serve during peacetime are going to have a different mindset than those who are going to be shortly placed in harm's way on the battlefield. Why? Because they're sober, they're serious, they're focused, they're hanging on every word of their drill instructor's teaching. And I think sometimes we look in our, in our Christian walk, sometimes we get a little lax and we kind of think, hey, I got time. I'll serve the Lord later. But what Peter is calling these believers to, and us as well, is to be sober, to be watchful, and then, yes, even to be prayerful. He says at the end of verse 7, Watch unto prayer. For the believer, our motivation for being sane and careful is so that we can pray more effectively for our world, our situations, and our Savior's success and the people around us. How's your prayer life? Again, if we only caught a glimpse of how much time we really have, I'm sure we would spend a whole lot more time in prayer, a whole lot more time seeking the Lord, getting to know him, pursuing him. And then on top of that, calling others to know Christ as well. Because we don't know. Here's the reality. We don't know how much time we have. And so Peter says, the end is near. You must have the right mindset. You must be focused. Wayne Grudem in his commentary on 1 Peter says of this verse that Christians should be alert to events and evaluate them correctly in order to be able to pray more intelligently. Peter's words also imply that prayer based on knowledge and mature evaluation of a situation is more effective prayer. What this verse teaches could well be put into practice when reading the newspaper, listening to the news, traveling to work, and so on. Beloved, there are things we can pursue that mean little to nothing in the grand scheme of living. If we know the end is near, that our faith's consummation is coming, we need not be distracted by trivial things that would waste our time. Be people that are not pulled by every wind of doctrine or every other uh, thing that the, the world, the flesh, and the devil seeks to dangle in front of us, but instead seek to be a people that are firmly planted insane, careful, and prayerful living. Again, we must be focused in mind. So because the end is near, you must have the right mindset. But secondly, because the end is near, you must have the right motivation. We must have the right motivation. Verse 8 says, And above all things, have fervent charity among yourselves, for charity covers the multitude of sins. We should have the right mindset, but now we must have the right motivation. And what is the motivation of verse 8? It is love. Love for others. In fact, the, the passage says, above all things, this is to be our priority. 
have fervent charity among yourselves. Another way to say it is keep fervently loving each other. We've been commanded by Jesus to love others. And in fact, love is a hallmark of a disciple of Jesus. Remember what our Savior said, By this shall all men know you are my disciples, if you have love one for another. This love is, yes, that sacrificial agape love that our Savior has for us. We are to likewise mimic that to others. The same love that motivated God to send his son to die for you is the same love that we should have for one another. This is the love we should should pursue, we should cultivate, we should decide to have. Can I say, just as a little caveat, love is a choice. Love isn't a motivation or an emotion. Because there might be times where you're not very motivated to love someone. But love is a choice. That choice type of love is the same type of love where God sent his son to come and die for you. This is the love we should have for one another. We've been commanded by Jesus to love others. But think about the reason for this. Look at the end of verse 8. Above all things, have fervent charity among yourselves. Why? Because charity or love shall cover the multitude of sins. Think about this. Our Heavenly Father delights to forgive the sinner. When that sinner comes to him and says, Lord, please forgive me, a dirty, unworthy sinner. And that is the prayer that Jesus, that God gravitates towards. And he offers that forgiveness freely. If our Heavenly Father has forgiven us, then we too should forgive the sinner that sins against us. We should have that same love one to another. Enough, love enough that we can overlook and forgive the offenses of our fellow believer. This is when it gets a little touchy. Because a test of love within a church is seeing how they handle offenses. If love is absent, a body becomes petty. And offenses rise to the level of personal vendetta. We've seen what this looks like in the world when cancel culture chooses a, uh, an offense and picks at it until it's destroyed or removed. But the question is, are we like that in a church? I hope not. I will say that as of late, I have noted that graciousness towards our fellow believer is becoming rarer and rarer in our churches. If love is present, there is a gracious attitude and personal hurts are quickly dismissed. Remember 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the love chapter. It states that charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up. It does not behave itself unseemly. It seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked. It thinketh no evil. If that's not enough, love rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth. It bears all things. It believes all things. It hopeth all things. It endures all things. Do we love like this? Can I say disciples of Christ should love each other? 
and it is seen in how they navigate the sins that we commit against one another. On our best day, when we seek to not offend our brother or sister in Christ, there will still be times we do. How do you handle that when someone sins against you? Do you have love for that person? And you might say, Pastor Nate, you don't know what happened. Maybe I don't. But I do know this. The love of our Heavenly Father motivated Him to send His only begotten Son that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us and He loved us. And now Christ also calls us to love our fellow believer like that. Peter commands that sacrificial love be exercised more and more as we see the end that is near. Are we obeying this expectation today? We must have the right motivation for our living. End times ethic must be motivated by love. And so, because the end is near, you must have the right mindset. You must have the right motivation. And then lastly, because the end is near, you must have the right ministry. Look at verse 9. After that love has been expected... That command is given. Now look at verse 9. Use hospitality one to one, to one another without grudging. As every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another, as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. If any man minister, let him do it as of the ability which God giveth, that God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom be praise and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Again, because the end is near, you must have the right ministry. This can be summed up as sacrificial service. We see verse 9, it says, You must serve others without expecting selfish return. That's what that idea of hospitality is. Be hospitable without grumbling. For the original audience, it looked like providing lodging and care and meals. This understandably can be taxing and exhausting on the host especially if the host might have been kind of at the end of their rope financially. But a believer should willingly give of their time and resources to care for one another. That is what is expected. And then there should be a heart that is free from grumbling. Now this seems a little daunting, because no doubt all of us have sometimes given and sometimes the reaction of that giving is not reciprocated. And sometimes we say, well, maybe, maybe I'm not going to do that again. But we don't see that. In fact, we see the opposite. You are to love and you're not to be grumbling about that. How does one do this? Well, I would point you back to the right motivation, which is love. You love one another. You love our Savior so much that to give of yourself, to serving others, to being hospitable without grumbling is not only possible, but it is to be pursued. It is to be something that we do. So you must serve others without expecting selfish return. And then, after that, God expects you to use the gifts given to you by the Holy Spirit properly. You see that verse 10, as every man hath received the gift... Each one of us has a gift, even so minister the same one to another. 
as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. God expects you to use your gifts. You must use your gifts to build up the body of Christ. Each one of us has been blessed by the Holy Spirit to have a gift that is given to us. And we are to use that gift. Don't hold that back. Use it for the benefit of others. One of the things that is true of us here at Grace Baptist Church is we seek to edify the saints. It's one of our E's if you look at some of our print material. Edify, build up, encourage one another. God tells you, use your gifts to build up the body of Christ. And then, verse 11, you must remain faithful to God's intentions when representing him in your service. Remember, have an eye towards God as you serve. It really does culminate to the end of verse 11. That God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom be praise and dominion forever and ever. Amen. In a word, we are to do all to glorify God. What does it mean to glorify God? Well, it means to give the right opinion of who our God is through our Savior. After all, he deserves all the praise and glory that we could give him as the sovereign over everything. So with that in mind, again, we are to, because the end is near, we are to have the right mindset. We are to have the right motivation. And we are to have the right ministry. I'm sure we have all heard it said, or we ourselves have declared something similar, this phrase. And this phrase brings with it a moment of decision, a process of completion, and a subsequent reaction when it is fulfilled of either joy or dread. It is the phrase, I want it clean by the time I get back. Now, as a child, I remember that phrase coming from my parents. And I also remember the internal battle. I said to myself, you know, uh, they just left. You know, I've got time. Uh, I can watch another, you know, five minutes of TV or play another round of of game, uh, like another card game round or It's only a few more minutes, and I remember the angst and dread when I thought I had more time, but they were coming up the driveway. And I remember flying around the house trying to get our job done because mom and dad were outside unloading the groceries, and here they come, and they were going to expect this job to be done, and we had procrastinated. I also remember after learning my lesson that those feelings of angst and fear could be replaced with confidence and joy to see my parents. When you get the job done, you see them roll into the driveway and you say, hey, they're back, this is great, all right, and you open the door, hey, mom, hey, look at what we did. You know, oh, good, glad you got it done. You know, there's such a difference when we understand that there is accountability and we are prepared for that. See, imminence brings accountability. We never really knew when our parents would return, so a wise person would just prepare right at that first moment. And like those children who have been given a task to do while their parents are out of the house, so we as believers are called to be ready to meet our Savior. Within the plan of God, the next thing on the calendar is the Lord's return. And as we have been studying in Revelation, every day brings us closer to the end or culmination of our faith. We are much closer to the end than much of us care to know. Whether the Lord calls us home or comes to get us, our faith becoming sight is but one breath away. 
can I ask you, are you ready? Tonight, Peter instructed our thinking and our actions, our understanding, when he says that the end is near. Are you ready for that end? Let me just make it very clear. If you are unsaved, you are not ready. If Christ were to come back now, you would be on the outside of the family of God and open to final condemnation. What you need is Christ. You need to trust Christ. For those who are saved, for those who are his children, we are to have a serious, prayerful mindset, a mindset that lives and sacrificially serves out of love. Are you ready for the end? I would ask, how are you living today? If you are lacking in any one of these areas, mindset, motivation, or ministry, isn't it high time that you make some changes so that you may be confident and joyful when the end comes? Would you bow together in prayer with me, please? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this warning. Lord, there are so many passages that talk about the fact that you are coming, and you are coming soon. And Lord, whether we breathe our last and we meet you because of death or whether you come back and rapture us, it matters not. The reality is we will stand before you and give an account. And so, Lord, would you help us to have the right mindset? Would you help us to go about our business with love? And may we serve so that you get all the praise and glory that you deserve. Lord, I don't know what's going on in the hearts and lives of the people in front of me, but you do. Lord, would you take your word and would you implant it in their hearts and would you work on them, work on me, so that we would then be fit vessels in your hand, that we would be sober, that we would be serious, Lord, that we would love one another. Lord, if there are some things that need to be taken care of between brothers and sisters in Christ in this assembly Lord, help us to to, to get those things taken care of. Lord, help us to love one another enough to let love cover some of those sins. Help us to go and make things right. Then, Lord, help us to serve and help us to serve with all the gusto we have so that Christ would be honored and glorified. Lord, he's done so much for us. It is our reasonable service to then live with looking for him, hastening and waiting for when we get to see him and our faith will be made sight. And so, Lord, would you help us? If there's one here who's yet to accept Christ, Lord, may they realize their need of a Savior, that their time is short and they must trust Christ. Lord, draw them to yourself. Help them to choose Christ this this evening. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.